0: Yes, we're happy to have Sharon, too. Every time I come here, I'm always energized and emboldened. And I am glad that my dearest wife, Sharon, could come. She's a, a nurse, been an RN for almost all her adult life. And now I need a traveling nurse to keep me in line. No better person than that. I just love this church. I love your pastor. I think about the the future. God's doing an amazing work here. I hope you know that. You're a part of an amazing work. It's not his work. It's not the elder's work. It's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's work. Now, Ron and Linda are getting a little older. They're almost 60 years old now. But I hope one day I don't hear that this church has, after Ron or Linda have gone on to meet the Lord, that it's sort of drifted off into being a nice, pleasant, accommodating, worldly church. So you young people here, younger ones, Your calling is to carry on this man's faith and his obedience. doesn't mean you have to do everything like him, but you better carry on his faith and his obedience and his zeal for God and this woman's faith and obedience and zeal for God. I'd like us to turn in our Bibles today to the book of Colossians chapter 1. No one has ever accused me of preaching too long, so make sure you listen, or you might miss it. Parents, don't you enjoy it when somebody comes to tell you how wonderful your children are? You say, Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, Well, God is that way, God the Father. He loves when people brag on his son. So I'm going to spend this morning bragging on God the Father's son, Jesus Christ. My topic today is the greatness of Jesus Christ. I'd like to read from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 18. Colossians 1, 9 through 18. Follow along or up on the overhead. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Those of you in Sunday school, this is sounding familiar. Cease not to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Uh, If there's anything great about Christianity, it's Jesus Christ. We're Christians. That literally means we're Christ followers. Christ's disciples, Christ people. It's visibly, by the way, marked out at baptism. We're marked out as the people of God visibly at baptism. People say, well, why is baptism important? It doesn't specifically regenerate you, but it actually puts the external mark of God on you. How many of you here, whether young or old, how many of you here have been baptized and have a Christian baptism? You've been baptized. Christian baptism, that means something that doesn't guarantee that you are saved. God does that work, but that does mean one way or another, Christ's mark is on you. And it means if you're not a Christian, boy, you're in deep trouble. That means you're an imposter. If you're baptized and you don't truly belong to the Lord, that means you're an imposter. You're walking around with a uniform on, but you're not in the military. It's a visible mark that we belong to Christ. If Jesus Christ was just a man, there is no reason for us to be here today. What a waste of time this is. All of the effort and all the money to renovate this beautiful sanctuary, it's all a waste if Jesus is just a man. If he's not the Son of God. If he didn't die for sins. If he didn't rise again. If he's not ruling today. There would be no meaning or purpose in life. I don't understand how atheists and agnostics live. What do they live for? If they really thought it out, I think that they would commit suicide. There's no meaning. There's no purpose in life. Only Christians have true meaning and purpose in life because of Jesus Christ. We have a hope. We have a future. There's no one greater that we can think of than Jesus Christ. You say, well... What about the Father and the Spirit? Oh, yes, they're equally God. The Bible teaches the Trinity, clearly. But you notice what the Word says even here? He, Jesus, is the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says he's the exact imprint of God, the express image of his person. So you want to know what God's like? I can tell you exactly what God's like. He's exactly like Jesus Christ. You want to know what God the Father is like? What did Jesus Christ say? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. He doesn't mean he was the Father. He says, I'm so much like the Father, equally God, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to address two or three points in the remaining time that talk specifically in the Bible about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, his greatness. The first one is the one we just read. Colossians 1. The first is the greatness of his creational mediation. What in the world does that mean? We read in this passage that he is exalted, Christ is exalted above all things because he created all things. Now we read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, finish it for me. God created the heavens and the earth. And yet, if we read other texts in the Bible, we see that God, through Christ, created. Oh, you see it especially in John uh, 1, verses 1 through 3. Nothing was created, John says, that was not created through Jesus Christ. Jesus, then, is the mediator of God's creation. The Father says, I want to create everything, and son, I want you to be the one to do it. He's almost the owner, if we can say it reverently, and says, son, you're the general contractor. You're the one that's in charge of everything, making everything. But I must say that this truth, that Jesus is the mediator of creation, doesn't seem all that important to people today. Now, they think of his death and his resurrection being important, and oh, that's essential. We dare not downplay that. I'm going to point that out soon. But Jesus Christ is also the mediator of creation. And he can be the mediator of redemption, his death and resurrection precisely because he's the mediator of creation. Could it have been that the Father or the Spirit could have come and died on the cross? The answer is no. They're not the mediators of creation. Jesus Christ created all things, therefore he is the one to redeem all things. His is the hand that created all things, therefore his is the hand that had to be nailed on the cross. The Jesus who died on the old rugged cross created the world. Today the church tends to have a high view of redemption, but a very low view of creation. They don't understand this. And oh, there are so many heresies that are rife today. One reason churches won't take a stand on the issue of so-called same-sex marriage. It's not marriage, by the way. It's not marriage. If you say same-sex marriage when I'm writing it, I always put marriage in quotation marks. It's not real. Churches will say, well, yeah, but that's not really a gospel issue. We're not going to divide the church over that or homosexuality. I just want to preach the gospel and get people to the cross. Would you like to know what the cross and resurrection were designed to do to restore what it means to be a true man and a true woman? You stand for the gospel when you stand for creation. Because the gospel is designed to restore and enhance what God created in the first place. If you don't understand, you'll compromise the faith. Creation grounds the gospel. And if we compromise the Jesus of creation, we will compromise the Savior. Mm -hmm. All these people that say, well, we don't want to be divisive. divisive. We just want to preach the gospel. So we're not going to talk about homosexuality and same-sex marriage and things like that. We're not going to really discuss that they will eventually give up on Jesus Christ. Because the same one that died on the cross is the one that created. And you can't compromise the one without compromising the other. Notice also, this is a glorious statement there. In Colossians chapter one, it says in verse 17, did you notice it says, he is before all things and by him all things consist. Would you like to know what that means? Literally? It means all things hang together. In Jesus Christ, all things hang together. You remember the old spiritual, he's got the whole world in his hands? Never quite says in that song who the he is. I guess we all assume it's God. And that's true. But it's just as accurate to say not just God, but the Son, Jesus. Jesus has the whole world in his hands in a very specific way. Now, I want you to think about this. This isn't some light, ethereal, airy, abstract thing. What I mean is, the oxygen and air we're breathing right now is sustained by Jesus Christ. The planets right now, as they're traveling, he's holding them together. You wanna know why you're not worried that when you go to bed tonight, at some point the sun's gonna go down? anybody here worried that i'm gonna go to sleep tonight and the sun will never come up tomorrow you're not worried about that why are you not worried about that i'll tell you why you're not worried about that you might not know it it's because jesus has the whole world in his hands he's the one causing all this he's the one maintaining and if he withdrew his hand just for a moment everything would fall into chaos The dependability of the rhythms of the physical universe are due to the dependability of Jesus Christ. He's the mediator of creation. Oh, and this makes sinners so ungrateful. As it were, they shake their fist in God's face. You're not going to tell me what to do. I don't care what your law says. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to trust Jesus Christ because I want to live my life. The one that gives them all of these good things. He gives them food. He gives them air. They live in a basically free country, less free. And yet they shake their fist in God's face, and all he has to do is withdraw his hand a little bit, and they would be kaput. Isn't God long-suffering and gracious, even to those who hate him? Not only so, because Jesus is mediator of creation, Jesus saves all creation. Did you notice that in Colossians 1? Look then, if your Bible's still open there, verses, uh, we stopped, I think, at verse 18. Look at verses 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace the blood of his cross. Do you understand the implications of that? Jesus didn't just die so that you'd go to heaven and not go to hell. Now, thank God for that. That's a great blessing. It says he died to reconcile all things to himself. You know why? He's the mediator of creation. Do you know that when Adam and Eve fell and God imposed the curse on creation, that means that the curse... Of Adam and Eve's sin goes everywhere goes everywhere would you like to know what's redeemed everything that fell in Eden what fell in Eden just the man and the woman everything was corrupted did you know that everywhere we go out there everywhere we go something's corrupted by sin have you noticed that there's no place you can go and say ah there's no sin here even beautiful mountains and trees, though they themselves don't sin, bear this heavy weight. That's kind of what Romans says. They're burdened. They're burdened with this weight. The book of Romans says that they're hoping, desiring. In fact, the language used is groaning. They're groaning for redemption. We live around uh, the Sierra Mountains, and uh, sometimes it's very quiet. You walk in the very, near the very high mountains, and I hear them quiet day, and you can almost hear kind of these huge, massive, 10, 12,000 foot mountains, huge mountains. They're like, "Mm -hmm." it's like, I'm a little scared. Like what happens if one comes crashing down? I would be dust. And I think about them and you know what? They're groaning. They're saying, I want to be redeemed. I'm waiting to be redeemed, fully redeemed by Jesus Christ. All of creation is to be redeemed. By the way, This is also why every area of modern life, every area of life that is currently under the dominion of sin should be redeemed and we should be working to bring it to redemption on the basis of what Christ did. Would you like to know why Christians should be involved in politics? You say, yeah, because you're Democrats, you're baddies. Yeah, they are baddies. But that's not the main reason. The main reason that we should be involved in politics is because Jesus Christ is the Lord of all things. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of redemption. He is Lord of all things. And therefore, he's Lord of politics. And he should be Lord of the schools. Somebody asked a friend of mine, said, well, if it were up to you, I mean, everything in the world would be Christian. And he said, right. And you know what? One day it will be. Yeah, one day it will be not by force, not by coercion, not because we're coercing people into trusting Christ, but by the power of the Spirit of God and the preaching of the gospel, one day that's going to happen. We're laying the seeds for that by God's grace right now. The goal of the gospel is to restore and enhance creation. You want to know why we want to overturn and work to overturn Black Lives Matter? Oh, and by the way, of course black lives matter, white lives matter, Hispanic lives matter, Asian lives matter, all lives matter. Of course that's true. But the organization Black Lives Matter is not about making black lives matter. It's about making antinomianism matter. It's about attacks on the family. Read what they say on their website before it was purged. There's still images you can get of their original website. They want to get rid of the patriarchal family. They want to stress socialism. They love the L-G-B-T-X-Y-V-U-K-L-M, whatever it is, agenda. Oh yeah, they're all, they say it right on there. That's what they're really about. And they don't believe all black lives matter. They don't really care much about black conservative lives. They don't care much about Alan Keyes or Candace Owens. Those aren't the black lives really that matter. I didn't intend to say that, but I'm glad I did. And then all this decadent art. Homosexual marriage and the sexual revolution. I guess more than anything, my heart breaks over how the sexual revolution is destroying this country. Started mostly in the 60s. Earlier than that, but mostly in the 60s. Do you realize how many evils in our culture right now are a result of the sexual revolution? Abortion. Abortion homosexuality, rampant divorce, pornography, all of it, just so much of it at the roots. This is my body. I can do what I want with my body. I can have consensual sex with anybody I want to. Oh, how destructive. Oh, think of all the little children whose lives have been harmed by the sexual revolution, by parents who said, I can do what I want to do. I don't have to be faithful in my marriage. I don't have to get married. How evil that is. If the church will not stand up against that, who will? You say, well, I don't want a church or a pastor that's making waves about that. What you're really saying is, I don't want a church or a pastor that preaches the Bible. That's what you're saying. Thank God you have a pastor here that preaches the Bible. The gospel, then, I would say, is God's massive cleanup operation of God's massive cleanup operation. Now know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just so that you could get out of the penalty of sin. That's true. You know, sinners stand under God's judgment. There's no hope for sinners apart from Jesus Christ. You say, Andrew, are you saying if people don't have Jesus Christ, they're gonna end up in hell? Yes. You said, well, I don't like that. Well, just take it up with Jesus. Ask him. Maybe he will change his mind. Uh, no, he won't change his mind. But the gospel doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin. The gospel also uh, delivers us from the power of sin. And I have a message for those of you here that may feel addicted, whatever it is, whether it's Uh, drugs or sexual addiction or anxiety or whatever it is, and you feel enslaved, bound by sin, I want to tell you something. There is no sin that the Holy Spirit cannot fix and get rid of. And if you say, well, this is really hard. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get rid of this. What you're really saying is, I don't believe in the power of the cross. I don't believe in the power of the resurrection. But according to Romans chapter 6, read it when you get home. When we're united with Jesus Christ, we're united with him in his death and in his resurrection to have power over sin. Oh, I would encourage you, live in faith, live in obedience, trust God, and trust the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is a lot more powerful than even most Christians know. They have a gospel powerful enough to take them to heaven. They don't have a gospel powerful enough to give them victory over sin. They don't have a gospel powerful enough to change all of culture. My friends, that's not the biblical gospel. Jesus is great because he is Lord over the universe. Then, I think I'm going to go to my third point because I want to, as the old timers would say i want to park here i'd like you to turn to the uh, back a few books to the book of hebrews another reason that jesus christ is exalted is one that so many christians just seem to miss and it's one of the most important ones hebrews chapter one over the years hebrews has become my favorite book of the bible now of course you could pick almost any book of the bible all of it is the inspired word of god for some it's romans For some, it's Psalms. For some, it's Genesis. For some, it's Ephesians. For me, it's become Hebrews because of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. No New Testament book, by the way, quotes the Old Testament more than the book of Hebrews. And all of these people that say, well, don't you love when they say this? I am a New Testament Christian. Don't you love when they say that? Well, I can tell you right now, the author of Hebrews, living in the time of the New Testament, was not a New Testament Christian. He constantly was quoting the Old Testament. For him, the New Testament, the New Covenant, was authoritative because of what the Old Testament had said. But I want you to notice this text, verses 8 and 9. Speaking of Old Testament, the writer is quoting. A number of Old Testament texts here to talk about the superiority of Jesus Christ, why he's superior to the angels, why he's superior later on to the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. But notice especially one thing. The verses eight and nine. This is a quote of Jehovah. This is a citation from the Old Testament. <coughs> a quote of Jehovah. Verse 8. Now, when it says he here, by the way, the he, the reference of the he, the antecedent is Jehovah God. But to the son, he, the father, says, your throne, O God. Wait, 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 wait. Did you catch that? That is Jehovah, the father, saying to his son, your throne, O God. Which means that the father knows that the son also is what? God. There's the deity of Jesus Christ right there in black and white. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now notice this. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness or iniquity. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This anointing is an Old Testament way of showing greatness for a specific task. The kings were anointed. The priests were anointed. It was a ceremony. They would come, and many people would come and observe. They were anointed for a great task. So the father anoints the son, but notice why it says it anoints him. Because he loves righteousness, and he hates lawlessness. I'd like us to think about that for a minute uh, notice it doesn't just say that he was anointed because he fulfilled his duty to live a righteous life. Now, of course, that's true. Jesus Christ was under duty to the law of God to obey the law, and he did that perfectly. But that's not quite what it says there. It doesn't just say he avoided iniquity. He avoided sin, though he did. Did you notice what it said there? (laughs) He loved righteousness, and he hated iniquity. Now, let me tell you something. If you want to know one of the reasons that Jesus Christ is exalted and why he is great, God likes it. When his son loves righteousness and hates iniquity. I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ loves a pure mind and a pure heart. He loves it. Oh, it gives him great delight to see us when we live righteous lives. This is not a popular message today. It's not a popular message Well, the attitude is Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. So you just basically, you know, (laughs) the good news, you just keep on with your porn. Just keep on with your undisciplined tongue. The good news is Jesus died for your sin and everything will be okay. Would you like to know what the apostle Paul said about that idea? He said, that's damnable. God forbid I would ever say or teach such a thing. God shed his grace on us to deliver us from sin. He loves purity. He loves sexual purity. He hates lawlessness. Oh, even in conservative churches today, how lax people are about these things. I'll tell you, preachers today, I don't know, it's just assumed that all young people, before they get married, they're all just gonna spend time sleeping together. Well, you better just sleep together all the time, then you'll find out who you should really marry, then you probably should marry that person. My friends, that's an abomination. I'm not saying that people don't sin i know good people sin i understand what happens you're unmarried have all these hormones raising i understand and yes god forgives but to teach if that's okay i tell young people all the time if you sin and you fail like that and you repent i'll do anything i can to help you i'll drive a thousand miles to help anybody that wants to do right but the attitude in too many churches oh well it's not that important Jesus Christ was exalted because he hated iniquity. Pornography, the pervasiveness of pornography. By God's good grace, only by God's grace. I've never fallen into that. I know a lot of men who have. Only went looking for it one time. I think it was about 14 or 15 before they digital. I went to a bookstore and opened an image. Closed it and you know what that image can still be in my mind one time in my life one time I happen to have seen it not looking for You wouldn't believe how many men even good Christian men and maybe some of you here It's a battle worth fighting and you can get victory over that but for the attitude to be well It doesn't matter all men do that. No all men do not do that They do not and you can get victory Or anxiety and unbelief living in unbelief living in worry all the time. That's a sin That's a sin. So Jesus abominates adultery. He loves, he loves sexual fidelity. Those of you here, many of you here have been married 15, 20, 30. Ron and Linda, married 70, 80 years. I mean, uh, no, not that. To be faithful to one spouse, God loves that. God loves that. He loves it. And that's why He anointed Christ, who loves it too. We have lawless pulpits today. Because of this, antinomianism is anti Christian. It's anti Christian. You want to know why Jesus is great? Because He loves righteousness, and He hates sin. If you're in Hebrews and you should be, turn over quickly to chapter 7 and read a verse that makes this abundantly plain. We read this text and another, I believe, will be the last ones. Hebrews 7, notice, speaking of Christ in verse 26, this is speaking of Christ as our great and final high priest. For such a high priest was fitting, that means appropriate for us, who is holy. Harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and it's become higher than the heavens. You don't know why Jesus Christ was exalted higher to the heavens to take his throne, as we said. One reason, because he is holy and undefiled and separate from sinners. And would you like to know what God is doing right now with his church and this church? He's cleansing this church. Because God can only associate in fellowship with the holy people. We do have his imputed righteousness. Isn't that wonderful in justification? His righteousness is given to us. But there's also the righteousness implanted in us for our sanctification. And would you like to know one reason Jesus Christ is not near or in many of the churches? Good, you know, Bible-believing churches in McAllen today. They're filled with unholy people. Wives, sinful, sinful tongues, men, insubordinate to God, wicked thoughts, wicked actions, then coming on Sunday morning and want to sing Amazing Grace. My friends, God wants a holy people and we are called to be a holy people because Jesus Christ likes it. He likes it. And if he likes it, we should like it. Then turn back a few texts to, uh, this is a few pages to Titus, the book of Titus. Whenever I preach like this, there's somebody that says, well, Andrew, you're not giving enough room for the grace of God. Well, I hope that I am, because no one is saved by good works. No one is saved by baptism. No one is saved by church membership. No one is saved by anything like that, any human achievement, saved solely by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And if we sin, and when we sin and fail, we should repent, and we will experience the glorious grace of God. Isn't that a wonderful, glorious promise? Now notice Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Would you like to know why God shed his grace on us? You say, because he loved us. Yes, but he had another goal too. For the grace of God, verse 11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that we can just go on sinning and sinning and sinning, and it doesn't matter what happens, we'll have the grace of God. Does your translation read that way? It better not. That's the antinomian translation. Of course, these days you expect that one will be made. This is a new translation for every set of sins. Whatever sins you have, new sins, we need a new translation that will justify those sins, right? No, it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for his appearing. So would you like to know what the grace of God should teach us? To live a righteous life. And if you say, I really believe in the grace of God, and that's why I don't have a problem looking at porn, you know nothing of the grace of God. I really believe in the grace of God, but I spend my life taking Paxil year after year after year after year because I just, I'm anxious all the time. Nope, I'm sorry. Yes, we do. I understand people do have problems. There is clinical depression. I'm not denying any of that. But I'm saying to live a life full of anxiety is not to live a godly life. If that is the case, as Hebrews tells us, it speaks about the scepter of righteousness, that's the ruling. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. It's not a kingdom of unrighteousness. Now, my friends, would you like to know why the U.S. today is floundering? Would you like to know why it is filled with chaos? Chaos upon, it seems in the last year, wave upon wave of chaos. Destruction, hardship, bad news, conflict. Would you like to know why? Because this is a godless, unrighteous nation... That murders unborn children, that codifies homosexuality, that pushes socialism and cultural Marxism and calls everybody a racist and treats everybody as though he's a racist or a sexist or a misogynist and stresses intersectionality and all of these other nitwit ideas, that is why we have this messed up world. Because you see, if an entire country falls into sin, God doesn't let them get away with that. God doesn't say, oh, isn't that interesting? Now know this. This is God's world. It's not Satan's world. And because it's his world, you don't get to do what you want to do. All the rebels say, we don't care what you say. We're going to do what we want to do and we can get away with it. Yeah, they're going to do what they want to do and they're not going to get away with it. They're not. God sends his judgment, and know this, God judges individuals, God judges families, God judges churches, God judges businesses, and God judges nations. You say, well, he would never judge America. Yeah, that's what all the other nations that were judged thought. Don't misunderstand. The kingdom of God will advance in time and history. But the Bible never promises that it will be in the United States. And if we don't repent and turn our back on evil, if we don't do that, we will be thrown in the dustbin of history. And hundreds of years from now, somebody will say, oh, yeah, it was there. What's this nation? It lasted about 270, 200. It was called, can you imagine, the United States because there were like fifty or maybe at that time fifty-five of them or whatever, and but you know it just kind of it just collapsed. Oh well, okay. What's the next topic? You said Andrew, that would be a terrible thing. Yeah. And there are a few men. I hope I'm one of them. Your pastor, that warn about this. And if we don't repent, this is coming. I don't know how it'll come. Would it be a plague? A huge plague? Much much worse than COVID? Yeah, it could be. Could be an attack. Could be a nuclear war. I don't know what it is. But don't say it can't happen. Yeah. Our only hope is to restore our nation by repentance. Otherwise, we'll be a laughingstock. Do you know we're already a laughingstock among other nations? Laughing at us. Laughing at us. My friends, I close in this. Jesus Christ is the exalted one. He is the mediator of creation, Lord of all things. And the Father made him great and anointed him because he loves righteousness and he hates sin and iniquity. Let's ask God to give us a love for righteousness and a hatred for iniquity and a greater love for his son. Let us pray. Father, these are very weighty thoughts that you have communicated in your word and we are almost frightened to say them. We, wouldn't, we would be frightened to say them, O oh God, were it not that you said them in your word. May we, O oh God, exalt your son and see his lordship and recognize him for who he is, the one who gave himself on the cross and rose again from the dead and loves us, washed us from our own sins in his own blood, made us a kingdom of priests translated us, conveyed us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of him. Father, thank you for him. Thank you also that he is great because you've anointed him. Anointed him and made him great and exalted him because he loves righteousness and hates iniquity. Lord, help us to follow him and doing the same. Bless this church in a mighty way. And Lord, as Ron has said, do more, as Isaiah 64, forces, says, more than we can ask or think. Do even more than we pray for. We're expecting you're going to do it, God. We pray it, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and King.